0: Thanks, Paul. I don't know if you saw that, but Paul basically admitted to us all that he's old. And it actually was confirmed before church, bro, because you asked me how to use your phone. So you're officially old. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the Bible, hey? John chapter 8. Let's have a look at something here. John chapter 8. Get my notes around the right way. Um, I'm here because pastors are unwell. Unfortunately, he's not been too well the last two days. Um, so I hope you'll pray for him. Uh, when we take some time to pray, just a little bit. Uh, but John chapter 8, I'm uh, just going to go through just a couple of things tonight. Just five things that, uh, at the start of the year, I did this uh, on a Wednesday night. Uh, just went through things I've learnt from the book of John. Um, you may or may not have been here, uh, but what happened last year is through our youth group, we just went through the book of John, uh, little bite-sized pieces at a time and tried to encourage them to read just a few verses each day, that kind of thing, and just try and soak in what you can through a few verses. And so I made a whole list of things that just stuck out to me when I read through the book of John. So I've already taken you guys through a few of those things, and they're probably all out of your mind by now, but I'm going to take you through five more tonight, just things that are not necessarily related to each other, but just what the Lord kind of, I guess, showed me as I read through these verses. So pray that it's a blessing to you. You can take something away from it. Uh, we're just going to get stuck straight in. So John chapter 8, and all these are obviously quite familiar passages, but John chapter 8, just start here in verse number 3. It says this, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him, that's Jesus, a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Verse six. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. And that's all we have to read there. Uh, and so when I read this verse or this this passage, uh, obviously quite f- familiar passage, read it many times before and. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how Jesus just interacts with people and, and how he responds. Uh, but here, obviously in verse 6, it says that these people were tempting him. They're trying to trip him up in his doctrine and to do with Old Testament law and things like that. Um, so they brought this this woman caught in adultery to him and was like, hey, what are you going to do? Because, you know, you're showing mercy and grace and all this stuff, but the law says she's supposed to be stoned. Um, and so what stood out to me is that it actually says here in verse 6 that he stooped down and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So he basically just ignored them. It, was basically, it wasn't rude, but he was basically just letting that question hang in the air. And I don't know how long he let that hang. Uh, it doesn't give us a time frame. Uh, but I'll tell you what I got from this when I read that again, is that you know, when people bring things to you, and it might be a complaint, it might be a question like this where someone's trying to catch you out or, or, or test you or something like that, um, it's okay not to answer straight away. It's okay not to, to fight that fight straight away. Uh, sometimes you don't even need to fight the fight. Um, and I know that's not the main context of this passage here, but what we see here is that Jesus doesn't have to give an answer for every single thing that he does. He doesn't have to explain why he's doing everything he does. And for us, even as Christians, there will be people that come and try and tempt you with their questions, try and uh, catch you out, uh, you know, whether it's to do with doctrine or just trying to, as, as a Christian, trying to discredit your, your your belief system or anything like that. Um, and I know it's happened to me many times, just people trying to be nasty and, you know, question why you do certain things. And what I get from this is that you just don't have to, you don't have to fight the fight all the time. <laughs> you can just let some questions hang in the air. And I know he does essentially answer them uh, in verses to come. Um, but I just wrote this, that you don't have to rush to defend yourself uh, because them asking that question, and they asked it multiple times, it kind of reveals their character. It kind of reveals what their intentions are when they continue to to prod and to poke. And Jesus just kind of lets it hang. And we don't know what he, he stooped down and wrote in, in the sand or in the ground. Uh, many speculations about that, but it doesn't actually say. But he didn't just have a comeback straight away and like, you know, this is why I'm doing this and, you know, get into a big discussion about it all. Um, and I know we're quite familiar with how Jesus interacted with people, but How many times did Jesus, when people brought a question to him and often tempting him, that he just answered back with a question of his own? And he didn't necessarily have to explain everything that he was doing, but he put it back on them. And obviously he's teaching something about themselves in that, about their hearts, and obviously teaching us a lesson in it all as well. Um, But to me, I just get out of this that, you know, I don't always have to, to fight a fight. I don't always have to argue a point. Uh, I can let the Lord take care of that. Uh, I can stand back. We can stand back and just, um, you know, be a little bit patient with it, uh, maybe pray about our answer to it. Um, so that's, that's thought number one, random thought number one. I've got five, four more to go. Uh, so that's number one. We don't have to rush to defend ourselves in different things. The second one is actually the verse straight after that. So verse number seven so obviously they brought this woman. Uh, he's pretended he hasn't heard them. And verse number 7, it says, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And from this, I just said that Jesus didn't discredit the law by saying she didn't sin. So they were trying to you know, test him and see where he was at with all of this. Uh, he didn't he didn't discredit what the, the the law was by saying no 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 she's fine she didn't sin he didn't like wink at sin or anything like that, but what he did do is he challenged everyone with identifying their own sinful hearts, so he says you know if if you if you have no sin then you're free to cast the first stone, and what really stuck out to me is that this can be two things this can help us in two areas when we. Look at this verse, look at how Jesus answered that question. And the first one is this, is that it's just a reminder for us to check ourselves. It's a reminder for us to just look at our own hearts. When there's an issue, um, it might be between you and someone in the church, you and someone in your household, uh, it might be a workplace thing, a school thing, uh, anywhere that you are. If there's an issue between you and someone else, and you know, sometimes we like to look for blame to, to shift onto somebody else, it's just a really good idea for us to check our own hearts first. And, yeah, we can, like, stand back and go, well, they did this or they, they contributed this much to it. Um, but Jesus really is just pinpointing, you know what, we need to check our own hearts first before we start, you know, trying to throw it out to somebody else or have a, a disagreement about it. Um, so the first thing is a reminder to check our own hearts, to check ourselves. And really that's, you know, um, when Jesus talks about the beam and the moat in the eyes, like, You know We can pinpoint all these things in everyone else, but let's make sure we're looking at ourselves first. But the second one is this, and this has actually helped me, particularly when dealing with uh, young people in the youth group and school and stuff, is actually when there's two parties, you're outside of this whole issue that's arisen between two people. There's two parties arguing about something or they have a problem with each other. Something has erupted and there's an issue between these two parties. And What's going to happen is people are going to try and point the finger at each other and say, no, they're more to blame, or it's their fault. They started it. Um, And that's not just for kids. like We do that as adults as well. But it's just a reminder when you're trying to, I guess, go away. Thank you very much. When you're trying to... You know whenever I preach up here, there's something that happens. There's fluff that goes on my head. There's different things. Big bug coming into my hair. Anyway, when there's two people coming together and having an argument... That really put me off. <laughs> um, it helps. It helps to be the third party and go. You know what? You need to look at your heart, and you need to look at your heart, and not try and uh, work out who's more to blame or anything like that. But really, just looking at it like how I've dealt with it is saying, okay, God's God's looking at both. Like this whole situation, and He's looking at your involvement in it, and He's looking at your involvement in it. And he wants you to check your heart, and he wants you to check your heart. And yeah, you might have like 10% that you've contributed to this issue, and you might have 90% or the other way around. Doesn't really matter. God sees it in its entirety, and He's expecting something from you with your heart, whether it's an apology or whatever. And He's expecting something from you, and He's going to hold you accountable to that individually. Uh, so that's that's kind of when I read this verse and just when Jesus approaches. Th- Approaches everyone, saying, "You know, if you're without sin, then you get to cast the first stone." He's really just pinpointing that by nature we we have a sinful heart, and we need to just check our heart first. And if you're helping other people, just direct them to that, give them that counsel, that advice. That you know, what if it's kids in your home, like do the same thing. Like, you know, what do you have to say sorry for, or what did you contribute to that? Um, so that's that's random thought number two. Okay. Uh, Number three is this, uh, John 8, uh, we're going to flick down a little bit further, and we're going to read from verse 12, just read a couple of verses here. So John 8, verse 12, it says this, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so Jesus made this statement, and that's a pretty bold statement to make, that he's the light of the world, he's telling people to follow him, uh, essentially that he can give them eternal life. Uh, So in the following verses, obviously Pharisees in that have a big issue with this. So they uh, question his authority, question who sent him, and all these sorts of things. Uh, But if you just come down to verse 23, it says this, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. And verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So he's made this pretty bold statement that he is essentially the the light of the world and they don't like it very much. And verse 24 to me, when I read this not long ago, it just stuck out to me as a very clear verse that just says, if you don't have Jesus Christ when you die, you will die in your sins. And it just, it's like it literally just came off the page, like I've read John 3.16, I've read all the verses that talk about salvation and talk about the wages of sin and death and all that. But when I read this, it's like, man, that is like a very clear verse that says you will die in your sins without Jesus Christ. And it's just a good verse to be able to pull out. And if you're sharing the gospel with someone, if someone's close to getting saved, or you just want to, you know, be, I guess, quite black and white and say, look, this is what Jesus himself says. That's just a really good verse. That's, that doesn't pull any punches. It just says it straight as it is. And it came from Jesus' mouth himself. Um, so to me, that's like a, a underline it, you know, write it in the front of your Bible or put it in a. Uh, a list of verses that are good when you're sharing or witnessing with somebody. Very clear statement that you will die in your sins without Jesus Christ. It's not a convenient statement, but it's very helpful if someone, if you are witnessing to somebody. Uh, so that's number three. Number four is this, John chapter 11. Let's just flick over there a few pages. John chapter 11. And I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, Verse number 1 we'll start with. So it says this, once again, familiar story about Lazarus. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Look down in verse 3. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Verse 6. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, He abode two days still in the same place where he was. So Lazarus is quite unwell. His sisters are are quite concerned about it. Send for Jesus. And we know the story quite well that he tarries on purpose. He doesn't come straight away. He comes a few days later. Uh, He arrives what they think is late. And have a look down in verse 21. Jesus arrives uh, where they are, and verse 21, "'Then said Martha unto Jesus, "'Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died.'" Straight away, a complaint, bring it to Jesus. But then have a look down in verse 32. "'Her sister does the exact same thing. "'Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, "'she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, "'Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died.'" So they basically said the same thing to him. And look, I know many things have been preached on this passage, and I'm not going to you know, stay here too long. Uh, but i just written this as a note. When I read these verses, I said this, that Mary and Martha made a statement that showed their lack of faith. And this is not a, you know, we're not bagging out Mary and Martha here because we've all been in the same boat. But this is what, what stood out to me, is that Jesus doesn't need to be in geographical proximity to work. To do a miracle, to help a person. He doesn't need to be in the same geographical area for that to happen. And I know we understand that because he is not in human form and he can't be in human form geographically present with us. But he's the same God just in a body in this story and it just, it just amazes me that he doesn't have to be where we are to be able to answer a prayer, to be able to do a miracle, to be able to listen to a prayer. Uh, And obviously Mary and Martha showed that, you know, they thought, oh, it's only going to work if he's here at the same time or at the right time. Um, So what I got from this is that we should ask for and expect God to work at any time. And the reason I say that is because I think as Christians sometimes we can get into this... Uh, mindset of, uh, okay, God's going to work when we have a church service, uh, God's going to work when there's an altar call, and he does work at those times, or God's going to work when we do a Bible study, or God's going to work when we, we sing uh, worship songs, or God's going to work you know, when we have a youth group, and he does work in those times, but we need to expect and uh, really look forward to and even ask him to work outside of those times and not like super spiritualize everything, but realize that God's able to listen to our prayers when we're driving in the car. He's able to change someone's life when we're not even near that person, but we're asking him to bring a verse to their remembrance or help them to you know see the error of their ways or you know ask God to do a work in their life to help them, bless them, whatever it is that we're asking for. Just a reminder that he is everywhere present and we have access to him everywhere. And so we should expect that he's going to do a work whether, you know, we're in a church service or, you know, being doing spiritual activity or not. Uh, and I know that they weren't necessarily thinking of it like this. They were like, you know, Jesus isn't here. He's dead. Ah, if you were here, he would have been healed. But it just, I guess it shows that, that heart sometimes that we don't think about the fact that he is everywhere present. He is all-powerful. He is able to do these things whether we're near him or not. Um, and you, you know all the stories. There's a couple of stories where people come to Jesus on behalf of somebody else and they ask for healing for you know, a sick person at home and Jesus heals them right there and then and they didn't even get back home before they were healed. Like He's able to do that. Um, but Mary and Martha obviously didn't quite think about that at the time. But sometimes we can be guilty of the same thing. So just remembering that we need to expect God to work at any time, not just when it's church time or spiritual time. Okay, that's number four. Last one is this, uh, John chapter 12, just over the page, John chapter 12. And we'll read verse 23 and 24 first. So John chapter 12, verse 23, says this, And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He's talking about his suffering that's about to come. He's talking about the fact that he's going to die. Verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So he's telling them it's a necessity that I'm about to go to the cross, I'm going to die, Uh, I'm not going to be here anymore, but life is going to come from the fact of my death. So it's a very sobering uh, time that he's, he's, he's talking to his disciples about this. But if you just have a look down in, where are we? Verse 27. He says this statement to them, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. He's pouring out his heart here. He's telling. He's obviously showing his humanity here as well, but he's showing them that his soul is very, very troubled. This is the thing that he doesn't want to happen. He doesn't want to be separated from the Father. He's going through probably one of the most difficult things that he ever went through on his time in earth, explaining to his disciples that this is going to come thinking about the fact he's going to be separated from the father i mean the fact that he says himself my soul is troubled that's that's pretty intense words coming from the lord jesus but have a look at the first part of verse 28 he says this after sharing all this he says father glorify thy name he says this is the this is the reason i came to the earth like this is the the hour has come for this very cause, for, and I want you, Father, for your name to be glorified. And what I, what I take from this is that it's really one of the best things that we can pray when we're going through a difficult situation, or when we see a difficult situation. And what I mean by that is asking for God's name to be glorified through this difficult thing because we all know it's sometimes really hard to know what to pray for when someone has a very significant health issue or something very tragic has happened or you know just 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 not great stuff happening in someone's life sometimes it's like I don't even know what to pray for and you know you can think well do I just pray that they get better that they get healing do I pray that you know they just get their job back or whatever whatever and yeah we can pray for those things and we do pray for those things but, you know, we are supposed to pray according to his will as well. We're supposed to pray according to the Father's will. And Jesus gives the best example here. He's basically saying, out of all this stuff, this difficult thing that I don't want to happen, I'm going to do it anyway, it's going to be hard, Lord, I just want your name to be glorified. That's that's a great prayer point to have. In this family situation right now, and I try and do this when I remember But, you know, I'll pray for specific stuff, but I'll also also pray, Lord, I just pray that you will be glorified through this situation. I don't know how that's going to take place. I don't know if if you are going to do healing, uh, and then that's going to be a testimony attributed to your name or something like that, or this turns around and then people draw closer to you, so then your name is glorified. But it's just a really great prayer point to pray that the Father's name be glorified, that he be lifted up, that he be seen through difficult circumstances. And you know, we get to do that tonight. We get to pray about different things that are gonna be on that list, things that aren't on that list. Um, But it's, I think, one of the good things that we can certainly pray for, knowing that it is the Father's will. It is the Father's will that his name be glorified. Because that's, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. So if we pray that way, then we can pray that way boldly knowing that we are praying according to his will and we're not praying amiss, we're not consuming it upon our own lusts or anything like that. Um, And Jesus himself gives us this really good example of doing it in a very difficult time. So take that uh, as you pray tonight, just to pray specifically that the Lord would be glorified. Uh, I'm sure you do that anyway. I'm sure you you are seeking for his name to be lifted up. But sometimes it's good to actually just verbalise those things as well. All right, those are my random thoughts from the book of John. I'm sure sometime later on in this year there will be more coming out. Uh, So stay tuned for chapter 3. But I'm going to pray and then I'll hand over to Jewel for some prayer requests. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that uh, there's much to be learnt in your word, uh, much to grow by, Lord God. And we just ask, Father, that you'd help us as we read your word to soak these things in, but, Lord, also to use them uh, practically. And, Father, as we just talked about, to glorify your name. Father, I thank you for each one that's here. I do pray, Lord, that you keep uh, each one that is not here safe as well. Uh, I do pray, Father, for Pastor and for his family. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would continue to give them healing, give them energy and strength uh, for each day to come. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for your goodness to us, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.